0: Hey everyone, Aaron Noonan here. Welcome again to another episode of the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. Before we get stuck into this, I have to point you to our website. At the moment, we've got a fantastic bundle and save sale. Fantastic for Father's Day the full list of all these books that you can bundle together and save money are in our show notes so click on the show notes and that'll take you there but you can buy Mark Scape and Racing the Lion and save $20 you can put Glenn Seaton's book and Mark Scape's book together you'll save 15 you can put uh, the new supercars book with our Adelaide 500 history book and save 15 bucks there are all sorts of options for you to save across all sorts of products now time for our special episode from the archives and it's part two of a chat with harry firth and it's with thanks to the team at the national library of australia of course the fox himself passed away in 2014 this chat was recorded in 2008 if you haven't heard part one go back and have a listen to it before you play your way through part two or listen to part two go back to part one whichever way you want to do it as long as you listen to both of them now this second part of the chat covers ford holden bathurst and Brock. So plenty of big ticket topics here for Harry Firth to explore. Of course, you won't hear my voice in this. The voice you will hear is Rob Willis, who sat down to record this interview with Harry in 2008. So here we go from the archives. Harry Firth on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco.
1: We started life with the Fords uh, in the first Armstrong in 1960, of the first Falcon, which was a terrible car, Uh, and uh, we fixed one up for Bob-Jane. Bob Bob and I started together from the first Armstrong, which was a disaster, the cars broke down and Louis upended theirs in second place. Uh, In 61, we decided to get together, and uh, for the 61 race, we bought a Mercedes, uh, for Waterland, and we ran it, won the race. Won did some rallies, and he put it back on the on the lot again and sold it as profit. <laughs> that was very nice. Thank you very much. Uh, Mercedes for winning gave us uh, fifty quid and a pocket knife. I'll show you the pocket knife. is a lot. I've still got it. It's got a three-pointed star on it. <laughs> Big deal then. <laughs> they didn't take that back. Everyone else seemed to take the cars back. <laughs> no, no, Bob, Bob had bought Bob that. Bob yeah, so he, uh, he uh, actually he has been looking for it for the past four or five years, but can't find it, so we probably built a replica of it. Hmm. Uh, we, um, we did very well out of that because uh, at that stage I was doing experimental for Olympic tyres. And amongst other things, uh, I had them change the rayon cases to nylon cases. And I also said, look, there's different tyre compounds you can use and let's swap them around a bit and try them at the racetrack and find out which are the better ones. So we did that as well. You also will see a picture of me jumping a Vanguard onto some spikes down at the Albert Park to test the new tubeless tyre. Um, there are all sorts of things with them, but the one thing we did do with the Merck is that they had just made their new prototype steel radial, Merck size, uh, five, 550, 615, and uh, they didn't have any tread on them. So I said, I want to give them a run, do it three relapse. I said, don't go fast. Yeah, I looked at the, Jesus, these are very really good. So I did a couple of quick laps, you know, took three seconds a of lap off the time. So I ran. Stop, 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 you stop. no, know, Why can't we use these tyres? You know, forget about those. We're using the nylon coast ones, you know, which were good, but couldn't compare with these other things. And it hadn't sunk in the absolutely tubeless, no tread. Yeah, you know, the, the merits of it, mm-hmm. how and why. And it took two or three years for that to really sink in, you know, but that was before anyone else had ever done it. And, and, uh, and again, you know, we said to, so he said, no, he said, we've got, to take we've got some more experiment, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And I said, "Well, we've done four laps with them, and there's nothing wrong with them. You know, they're, if they're going to explode, they would have exploded by now. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 can't it can't <laughs> be. That was all right, we didn't, didn't haggle with them. But we um, put that up here. There's no tread business, you see. So we'll just keep working on that. Just a question here, in those early days, so, so
2: with the Merck, the 220SE, which is the fuel injected one, um, were they, you,
1: you couldn't muck around with them, could you? Yes, you, you, you could. I altered every mortal thing on it, one way or the other, to try and make it go faster. Well, I had to put it all back to exactly what it was because that, that was as quick as it's form. As it was? Yes, yeah. and it was quicker with the muffler on than taking it off. So I left the muffler on. Huh? So the, the Merc was very well looked at, stock standard. And uh, the only difference to it uh, from what we think was the front wheel adjustment. We altered that a bit, gave it a bit more camber naturally for the circuit and uh, we um, you know little detail thing mm. but what was happening then you see is Bob was starting to look at tyres and, and had visions of t so you know that was in his mind at that particular time and he was um, running a Jaguar in the uh, touring car class. Now, besides this side of it, that side of it was, I had in the fifty eight I had sold it my Humpy Holden, which was the fastest Holden, and he then won quite a heap of things with it. And uh, then he said, well, so I said, buy a 3.8 Jaguar, which we did, and uh, we ran that. I put the webbers on it, the side-draft webbers, which they said you couldn't fit. So I fitted them on. Yeah, it's and the we ran that at the um, or oh, a big race at Warwick Farm for uh, what they call uh, sports sedans and that uh, I call them something else than that, but uh, they were sports sedans. And I ran it as a touring car, stopped and drove it up there, ran it and came back, and I came fifth in the race. So yeah, there was nothing wrong with it. <laughs> and I said, well, we've got to do this and this and this to it. And uh, he kept on doing a certain amount. He couldn't afford to have me work on full time. He uh, got John Sawyer to do the work and I only had to pay him so many bucks a week, you know, and not so much an hour for me. And then uh, we went on to keep modifying that, so by the time we got to 62, we had we bored and stroked it to 4.1 liters, which went very well. But the bearings wouldn't stop in it because because they were smaller and the, the it was for the stroking issue. So we used a normal crank, got a new block, bored bored it out completely, cylinders out it, and welded new cylinders in it so it became 4.2 liters. We've got I have a letter from Sir William Roots congratulating us on the building the first 4.2 liter jagger in the world, uh, but then you know, we built it and we also while I that. it I altered the instead of the dome piston I cut the dome in half and made more square and did all sorts of things to it you know think he won the touring car championship no trouble with it uh, and that and uh, he still has it he's got it back again you know restored it uh, but the jag was a very good exercise and uh, that sort of Ceased that out because I went on then <clears throat> and started to do things for Ford. So the first thing we did was we did a team of cars for the East African Safari in 1962. Uh, five cars. We'd also made an Anglia uh, and made it into a super Anglia and then put all the extra bits and pieces on, put the Zephyr front wheel brakes and things, you know, really fixed it up. So that one, <coughs> Alpine rallies and all sorts of rallies in the rally championship. Um, that was a big deal again. But then I started with the uh, Cortinas, mm-hmm. and they had one here uh, in '62, a blue four-door, 1500. I said, "Engineer, I said, you better lend us that. Yeah, you know, you're not using it? No, no, come on, give us a lend of that." So I used that in the uh, in the touring car championship. Came fourth outright, which again, big deal. It's only fifteen hundred. Mm. Yes, and, and, and uh, I won quite a few races with it on that. So from there, uh, um, we won the uh, five hundred again, still for with the Falcon this time, a one seventy Falcon, mm-hmm. and uh, again, that wasn't the quickest car by any means, but the way we operated and everything with the tyres and everything we had. And the way we drove it, we won. Uh, big deal. So that was Bob and I again. So then for the next year, they were changing the 500s going to Bathurst. First, first time. And I back. said, Bathurst an entirely different situation. We'd been there in the six hour in 62, and diabolical for the Falcon. I said, the Falcon won't survive you at all. We upended it. The brakes locked on. I said, forget the Falcon let's get these new Cortinas here. Oh, we we can only have four doors on us. They won't make a four-door GT, as well as a two-door. So we'll get four-door GTs. But get them CKD, so we can put them together ourselves, put all extra welding in them and everything. No paintwork, no sound, Edna, you know, light. And get the European suspension, not the export, which is that high. European is that high. Get the European suspension, and we can make our own shock absorbers, and get them to put decent Frodo linings in it because you had to use a standard pad, you see. they get decent linings put in it. extra thing. Just to be able to consult them. We don't know much about their product, you know, what they're available over there, but they sent quite good pads and linings. But the brakes are the same size as the Zephyr and that. So, again, we're not going to have any brake trouble at all. And Bob's saying, oh, we want the V8. Well, buy a he said, no, you won't. If you do, you're on your own. We're going to use this. I said, I've just got two, come out to now, And he gets in it, oh, does it stop, it's a corner. He said, it goes as, it goes as fast as a as what the V8 does. Said, yes or know, that's what I'm telling you. He said, you're not going to have any trouble, It'll be a piece of cake, the whole business, you know. Oh, yeah, right, right, okay. <laughs> so we're away, and uh, of course the New South Wales people saying about this, our piece of dirt up here. The Gagans said, you don't know what you're doing up here, you Victorians. I thought, well, I'm willing to argue about that. (laughs) And I had Bob, We walked around the track, because you can see all the gradients and the uphills and downhills. I said, well, they all here at Garp Mountain. Yeah, and they approach up the mountain. They all go down that side where it dips down and comes up, so they actually go on that last bit, really uphill, and they're on the wrong side of the track. I said, We'll go round on the high path on the outside, and we're pointed straight up the track to the outside of Quarry Corner, and we're on the right side the thing. Simple. We'll go, we can go round here full chap. He said, he said, Oh no, you couldn't. I said, Go on, off you go. Full chap. You came here, you're trying to kill me. I said, You got around? He said, Oh. Yeah, we're going to do it again. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh! And this is the same when you go over at the top at Bathurst, over the top of the hill. There was a bit, great big mahogany gum tree, no or anything, and you, you, and you looked at the V in the in the hill, and there was a single tree grew up it. So you you off the edge of the gum tree, you looked at the tree and aimed for it, and went over full chap. Now you couldn't stop until you got to the Dipper. No matter how good you couldn't stop. So you didn't go over to anyone else's tail, because they were going to put the brakes on when they went in there, weren't they? So you could go over there full chat and you made one second in that bit of the track alone. Uh, because, you know, mm. up here, and you knew exactly where it all went. When you went down Main Street, if the wind was blowing, normally, normally this way it blew, there was a great Hawthorne head which went half the way along. So you go down to the left hand side in under the hedge. Now wind, and and the the road had a camber in it, so if it blew this way you went down this side so the wind would blow you up the camber. Uh, If you're blowing that way you went down that side. So again the wind blew up things, held you straight. Uh, And on the last hump where, you know, the car would leave the ground, Uh, not so much the Cortina, it wasn't bad, you know, but the Falcon did. So, just on the last bit of the hump, just tap the brake to keep the nose down, and there we can get under the car. That was more so, very much so, on the Falcon. Uh, but the Cortina, uh, because they were so full of themselves and we didn't want to clear ourselves, so we do half a quick lap this way and then and slow the rest, and then slow this one and half a quick lap that way so we knew how fast we'd come but they didn't. And in practice time we only uh, uh, went fast enough to get on the first four or five, I think we're about this fastest or something. We didn't care about that because it's 500 miles and we were just going to let the leading bunch just sit behind them, let them destroy themselves, which they did. But after after five laps, the big V8s and everything, um, at the end of the straight, suddenly, we just straight past them. They had no brakes. Yeah, the brakes were finished, and we just went straight past them.
0: Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17-19. to Book now at Attack. Supercars, unforgettable.
1: We had a deal with the Gagans. Whoever was in front, the other car held station, you know, it didn't raise each other. And I'm out and Bob and pointing back and, you know, slow down, and he's pointing back and so I said, they're not slowing down, are they? Yeah. You know? and uh, I was considered a rally driver, you know, really didn't know what I was doing. In fact, we'd run a couple of Armstrongs, got nothing to do with it, you know. Yeah, yeah, oh, there's people, Victorian people, man. So, at the first pit stop, we're in front by 28 seconds. And after the pit stop, yeah, by 28, because we had altered the, dealt with the fuel churns, which normally flowed 20 or more seconds for four gallons, we'd changed the, the breather tube and things inside it, and we, and for ours only flowed 12 seconds. So, for four churns, that's that's... Uh, you know, uh, about eight seconds, so that's 30 odd seconds in front You go out in front of them. So your pitch up is half the time what theirs is. So we're 28 seconds in front, and Leo Gag is in the car, and he's really, it's smoking, you know. So I deliberately let him catch me up to 12 seconds. And then Bob got a bit and came out and said, come on, come on. So then I then took four seconds of lap off him and went away to finish up we're a minute by the next pit stop. Yeah, it was a joke. And they crucified their car, they, um, they didn't know that you had to balance the generator so it wouldn't vibrate and break the mountings. Now we offered to them, we said, uh, anything want to know Beth? the car? no we know what we're doing up here, alright, that's the way you feel about it. Um, so then they screamed, the murder. we didn't tell them anything. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, it's all thing. And the uh, um, we finished up, backed off. You know, on a go, 7-8 pace. Didn't didn't really have to go fast. We we're a lap and half in front. Yeah, you know, well and truly in the lead. And of course, you know, accolades everywhere. Drove the car home. Every town knew knew you. Oh, beauty, mate! <laughs> so and and and. and old man Gagan come. he said well he said we thought this was our territory up here he said obviously you know we'll have to think again about these next year
2: but you knocked them off again next year
1: year we did them again (laughs) (laughs) and next year became the oil companies um Ford decided in the wisdom they'd bring in two-door cars uh fully imported but all imported specifications so full of sound vendor and, you know, way up off the ground on that, anyhow. We sort of cope with that, different tyres, and that's to finish up about the same speed. And um, the, um, being fully imported, you know, it's very difficult to do anything with them, they are so heavy compared to cars we had before. Our previous years' cars with the same tyre would have been faster. We didn't worry about that. We cope with it. And, um, we broke a battery terminal, which put us back. At, uh, we finished up. Bob was first, Seaton second, McPherson. And uh, we were third all mm-hmm. the same lap. We had also uh, been looking at making a special version of the Cortina you know, with a special engine and there called the GT500. So we were going to run in the Round Australia Rally. So we built a special car on the line for the rally with reinforcement inside the chassis tubes and everything. And, you know, it was a very strong car. And we put the uh, prototype GT500 engine in it, which meant it was quite quick And that. And uh, we had other special things on. To cut a long story short, we walked around Australia rally against overseas people and everyone, Mm. walked it in. Harry, just at this time,
2: what was the relationship between yourself and Ford? You, you were running your own business. I, I ran the competitions the department com- for them. Okay, so you are working for Ford? No, no.
1: no, I was a consultant. A consultant,
2: right, Yes,
1: I did the jobs all done. Yes, I'll do that. It's cost you so, so much. much. Okay. Done on a budget. Yep. The budget for the year, the total budget, was only £12,000. Chicken feet. Yeah. Now, I then said, you're not gonna get anywhere next year, You've got to make a special car, it's port of no, we can't do that, we'll make our own here. This is what we can do. So we made the GT500, I made 110 of them, and, and uh, they cost, the mods cost $110 per car, and they paid for the few bits and pieces and that. Uh, that was very nice, thank you very much, because we made about 85 for ordinary people as well. Uh, there was no limit on doing that sort of thing, you see. A- and uh, that paid the overdraft because I had bought, from where we were at Marne Garage, I had bought over this place in Auburn in Queens Avenue, a- and uh, which was an old stables and everything. And we'd slowly converted it. We'd just made it into two storey on one side and. I have clothes on all the back and everything. The GT 500 paid for that, thank you very much, <laughs> and the bank manager used to come over and talk to me. He'd sit down and he would say, oh, well now you've gone, you've paid this out and that. He said, if you buy the place next door, he said, and we'll knock that down and put up all this. This is the bank manager coming over and talking to me and telling me, you try that now, <laughs> don't even have a bank manager, let alone get over near your place. So anyhow, yeah, that was all right, we, uh, we bought the place next door and that, but uh, the forward thing from the GT500, we then had a Mark II version of it, which was faster again and better. But because it cost an extra £30 or something, the bean counters, and there was a £10 design fee, the bean counters said, oh, you've already designed the car, so we'll take the design fee out of it and... Uh, yeah, you know, that, that's we can't pay that for the others. It's just, it's just forget it. Yeah, you can't pay a reasonable thing, I mean, you've already sold all the cars before you even make them, because mm. all the people who bought that, and the same people, all buy them next year. You understand? You're not going to lose anything. would no, 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 no. We're going to anyhow. We, we want to concentrate on the new Mark II. Just so forget it. No bloody good for competition. So anyhow they said no, they wouldn't. So they sort of stopped. And then they said, uh, "We want to start working on the V8. You, me, to start working on the V8." So we we uh, we won the Round Australia Rally quite easy We won quite a few other rallies. This is in the in the in, in the Cortina. In the Cortina, yep. yeah, yeah. We won a number of races. We had a a production race car as well won a number of races with that you know we were pretty well uh, <laughs> yeah, sweeping the pool with everything and uh, that became in 66 they said you've got to come to rallies only so the international southern cross rally we put all the mark 2 bits in a uh, Cortina 2 to 1 which I'm making by then and then we had special mini light wheels and uh, French Goodyear radial Pie winter treads which the works teams had never seen because all the BMC works team and others came out for it and uh, I knew them, some of them, you know, Hopkirk and Sprindle and bought things off Sprindle and it's very decisive. Yeah. Uh, he said, "This car of yours," he said, "it's far quicker than the uh, a- English works car." This is another job, you know. He said, oh, he said, "And these wheels, tires, which you have," is said, "where did those tires come from? Just across the channel." If you just get on the ferry and whip over, you can get yourself a set when you go home. Oh, oh, <laughs> and he said, uh, "You know," he said. Oh, they didn't quite. They didn't quite understand how all this had happened to see or what happened to see. They had a clover leaf was five special sections and I knocked them off. This is first night out. You see, and they were staggered. This is Hopkirk and Patty. You see, and before they've saying, "Oh, you will win, Patty." No, you will win, Rana. And I'm saying, "Well, none of you bastards are going to win this out." I'm concerned. <laughs> so we won that international rally. You see, well, that really put us on again. Job offers. Yeah, you know, around the track, forget it, you know. But uh, they said, oh, he wants to keep working on the v Yeah, you, know, you just forget the, that part of the race side of Well, This is 66. Yep. So I said, oh, well, I, I suppose you want right. to run? I'm going to drive a Mini in the 500. <laughs> and we were in front at half distance. We came sick. I'd gone to uh, America with Moffat. Previous, you see, and uh, in the Trans Am, we did very well. We really shook them up over there. We didn't win that much, it's just as we were in front. and We came second at Riverside. The fan belt came off mm-hmm. when, he, uh, when he was leading, and things like that. Yeah, we really, again, job office. And I really should have taken that for a year mm-hmm. because I could have picked the eyes out of it. Taken whatever bonus of the thing and bug it off before they told you in two or three years you know the thing what, that was one mistake I made however it didn't matter because we're over there and they're saying oh well we're going to this and this said no i going home and said, no you can't I said excuse me <laughs> I said you're not listening I go home I can run in a big rally oh all the overseas people coming come here who don't stand to hope in that I said well we'll see so two weeks later I rang up and said, Moffat, go and tell those bastards, will you, that we won the rally. <laughs> so, but, but that was sort of, you know, the finish of the Cortina side of it. But I was still going to run in rallies, Cortina, besides the V8, so I got a corner mark II Cortina Lotus yeah. and really fixed up and supercharged and all sorts of things. And 68, we walked the rally championship in. That was later, but it took a while to develop. it, You know, in uh, 67, we uh, we built some special Mark II Cortinas for rallies, very well. Won the cha- we, we won the championship, but they were second and third. And uh, but they were no good to race with. Uh, so in the meantime, 65, we had run a Falcon automatic V8. At uh, Surface Paradise to get the feel of it and see what happened and everything, and we were leading until the rain came and there was no use in the wet. So, with the ordinary Olympic tyres, <laughs> they were for free. <laughs> so we came second in that one, and we but we won, you know, found out an awful lot of things. Um, so we brought that knowledge back, and they were making a special car for the police. Painted light blue, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I used to drive that all the time. That was actually the GT prototype, But a police car. No one knew. Yeah, never clue. We had the press release at the Yangs for the XR and that. No one knew. I took a few people for a drive. It. I said, oh, yeah, this is the police car. You know, oh, oh like this. So, so we, uh, and it was so funny. They made the first batch was 50 uh, odd cars, they're all gold except there was a red one for Jane, white one for the Indians and a green one for us, company oil company colours you see. And I took our green one and uh, I ran it in and uh, did all the development on the durability track at Philamont where we'd done the 70,000 mile test in 10 days. That's a big deal, like you know, and uh, we told the press beforehand what we were going to do, and we prepared all the cars for it, <laughs> actually, and, and that, and uh, we had a, a coupe, a two hundred cubic inch coupe for that, in the Falcon, It's over there on the on the wall, and uh, that was very very successful. So we knew all about you know, Falcons and the durability, track and everything. So we took the uh, the Falcon and there's a test because just like Bathurst, and. Uh, the six-cylinder time was 243, I did 238 on my own, no crash route, no one else with me. So I could have gone faster quite easily, but that's how much, that's how much quicker the, the V8 was, you know, it was a joke. So I used to drive the V8 at the night time up to Maryborough <laughs> on the public highway, you know, and simulate a pursuit. Yeah, you know, you'd come out and rip up at some poor bastard and let him go. <laughs> It was so funny, <laughs> and uh, we we just sort of um, evolved it from all of that. Yeah, tested the circuits. And that it was a very good car. So this it, was the first of the. Um, this is the XR, XR G T. Right. So we had made the car. Hmm. Then we developed it, race prepared it and again the gagans and that said no we don't know we know all about it said, okay we know all about that sort of guy well, that's all right so we um i had another check with me by then yeah uh i picked out a young bloke called fred gibson, fred gibson yeah. yes i thought he, he seemed to go to me i reckon i could make something out of him uh, and he's a young lad and he just finding his way and obviously he's got the talent and everything. So I said to Fred, come on, I'll teach you that. And that was all right. But uh, again, it's your car. You ran in the race and you see the winner's flag fall on you. That is unique because that's happened to very few people. Only Sir Jack has had that with his race cars. And uh, we walked with him. with the Falcon, uh, and again uh, in the London to Sydney cars, uh, we prepared three cars. Um, we had a new pit, a new manager of that department. But then a young boy called John Gowan, who was a young upstart with a degree, you know, and he wouldn't do certain things. So we wanted him to replace the div, put a strong one in. And put the disc brakes all around with the ventilation and everything and the, and the mini light wheels. They're the three things we had trouble with. And the diff, we were second outright, and the final, last competitive stage, and the a wheel bearing it put us back to eighth. You know, and if we'd have had the good bits in, we would have been first. So that, you know, didn't make me very happy with all that side of it. However, with the Lotus, we won the National Rally Championship, very easy, we didn't bother to run in the last two events, we were that far and far. So that was all right. And uh, I said, I'm not going to dive in motor races anymore, I'm only going to do team managing from now on. Look, there was so much money in team managing, and each time you went in the motor race, you put yourself at risk, you know, and they were getting more and more, you know, diabolical than that. I thought, you, you hurt yourself here sooner or later. Uh, so I sort of walk out of that shut that and I only drove in rallies for another six months or so so I'm out of that as well can't be bothered did you enjoy the driving Hmm? did you enjoy the driving Uh, well I did yes but it got too hard (laughs) Yeah. with with what you were doing elsewhere you you, you, you did so many other things your time wasn't your own and you didn't have time really to concentrate on driving a car it it was too big a transition not worth it you you would hurt yourself walk away. Besides, I made twice as much money to, to in the other part of it. Because they finished up, they had to pay me a retainer before you did any work. It was $20,000 a year before you even fired a shot and they paid you for your time and any designs you did or any model thing, you know. And uh, it was all pretty lucrative. Uh, and we, uh, our business not the competition side, but the, the ordinary first Motors side of it, we did cars which no one else could fix. That was their specialty. So we have people like the Ellis Brothers, yeah, biggest real estate people, yeah, did their cars. Ron Walker, yeah, the other kind of people, did his car. Yeah. All sort of people's cars. Uh, Dermot Brotherton, yeah, football. Yeah. All, came to my, all came to our place. Could have got cars fixed properly. Um, Marcus Clark, that bloke who broke the headlight bank.
2: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>, he <laughs> was another one, Billy Grohl, <laughs> his mate. <laughs> you know, we, we just just had, we had a business where uh, we could do any mortal thing or fix any car which was getting trouble. You couldn't get service properly. We also did a lot of Porsches. Uh, so, you know, it was a very, very good business. Good staff. Yeah. Harry? We had good staff, yeah. I had people I handpicked, yeah. trained them like Ian Tate was with me for uh, 14 years. Started him off as a boy, you know. Uh, this couple of weekends he's running the Philip Island meeting.
2: Yes. Yeah, you know, he's president of that, yeah, day. I see, that. see
1: this is this is the background you give them yeah.
2: again this is what we're looking at the, the, all through this is a thread of, of you learning and passing it on yeah, to you, other people you, all
1: it, the there. time you pass it on you, you you would if you wanted a new driver or a new pitch crew or someone you'd look around the people and you'd talk to him, he'd say, him. yeah he'd go up and make something of like him what qualities did you look for uh well, for one thing, they had to be a bit humble. Yeah, not big note themselves. Not full of themselves. Uh, I preferred country people. Uh, yeah, they, they had a different set of ethics to see people. Uh, if they had a degree in things, uh, I used to be very wary. <laughs> yeah, I, think, no, I don't know how you, you know. Uh, and uh, you could tell straight away with a bloke. Had the gift or he didn't. Um, and so it was very hard, you know, in, in my shop, you did what you were told, no more or no less. And you never, ever did anything on your own accord without you talked about it. If you had an idea, you, you came up and you suggest, look, is it possible to do this, you listen and invariably it was no. Uh, but occasionally, someone would come up with some bright idea, which you would accept. Not for help. Ian Tate was about the only one who would come up with any bright ideas and that. But, but again, you instilled into them this background of doing everything to a certain standard all the time and, you know, and do one thing at a time, don't alter a heap of things. Uh, very methodical way to do things. Uh, and before you did anything, you looked at all available alternatives made up your mind if any of those were better. Because if you do one thing, then find it's no good and you've got to do it again. That's
0: money. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil Tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products, to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two and oil and find out.
2: So you, you've got your own business and you've
1: got, you're developing team my, management my brother well. did the books and ran the ordinary competition site. He, he was a bit of a shit. He was as mean as could be, you know, and he couldn't see the big picture on either his dollars and shillings pence or whatever it was, but he dealt with that time and what was happening now. He couldn't look down the road and see, well, if you make that car now, it's going to become that and it's going to expand into this and all this sort of thing. Um, that's one thing we used to fall out with <laughs> to mm-hmm. a certain extent. The, uh, so how did the development with Ford Well, done? that that was the Ford thing. Mm-hmm. Now. What happened is that in 1968 we'd won the Rally Championship. We'd won quite a number of things, Falcon Wise. Um, we had uh, done very well, competition wise, in the London to Sydney and things like that. Um, I had designed the first HO. Most of it. Well, all of it actually, but I'd given them part of it the fuel tank, the twin source system, and that. I had given them that. But I hadn't given them all the rest of it. I'd only told them which model engine we were going to use, the 351, you see. And that, uh, because I was a bit, you know, don't know about this new competitions bloke, you know, don't trust him really very far. What he did was he arranged for a chap to come in from America, Al Turner, from Lincoln Mercury, and take my place as overall in charge of competition. And I was only going to do the special thing, and I sat there and I said, yeah. I said, I'm going to learn how to do those then I can bugger off, can I? And he said, oh, well, you know you know all. <laughs> Typical, yeah. I said, yes, I know. And I said you, and a few other things, you know. I thought, I'm out of this. I'd made a deal two weeks before with General Motors, you see. (laughs) And I said, well, Al, it's like this. I've said, I've sit down there, I've thought about it, and I'm going. Oh, but you can't. You're an owner. He said, Al, I'm going. He said, oh, what are you going to do? I said, you'll read about it in the papers in a couple of days. I said, you know, I said, I can't work with you people under you and John Gallen under the stand like you've got to sit. I just cannot work like that. You see, John Gallen tried to take all the credits that were under Sydney things, which he didn't do. And then but he made a big boo-boo with the boss. He told the boss something else, which was completely untrue. And the boss knew, because I'd already told him what happened and everything, you see. So he sat him down and really gave him a serve. But he didn't fire him, he to let let them go on because he'd already got Al Turner there and uh, so. uh, Didn't worry much. I just said, uh, yes, I'm going off to do other things, yeah. Because they told me I was too old. And they told Bill Burke I was too old. Now Bill Burke was a down-to-earth, my sort of person, you see. And while he believed them at the time, After we beat him at Bathurst with the Monaro, he came up and he said, Well, he said, I retired you on the advice of my new competition people. He said, Obviously, they were wrong. You are only 50. You were not too old at all. And he said, he he, he was very upset about it all, you see, because it made him look. So... It, it just sort of, uh, that went on. I didn't give them all the rest of the HO things, which they were obviously then used against me. Because I'm saying, well, after buddy, car's mine, you know, without anything else. So, you know, so I knew exactly what was wrong with the car and what the shortcomings were. Whereas the Monaro, which I didn't have much say in uh, to start off with, I uh, think. But there's one thing about General Motors. The starting budget was $565,000 a year, <laughs> all right? yeah. plus they supplied everything. So we're talking a million dollars. And my thing with all budgets like that was I would put 20% aside, that was mine. That took care of all incidentals, and it worked on all the rest.
2: So this was the establishment of the Holden Dealer Team, was it? That was
1: the Holden Dealer Team, right? In nineteen sixty-nine. Now, I first of all got a Monaro with a two fifty-three in it, and ran it in a few rallies just to see what it was like, and that. And said, so "It's no, they be good. You know, forget about those. They're no good as rally cars. We have to make something else." Um, one of those, I'll take one of those Toranas, which are quite, we'll use that. So we ran it in the BP rally, uh, the Tirana against two Monaros, and the Tirana won quite easily. Did they have the six in it at that stage? Only oh, a six cylinder, on uh, yeah. one six one. One six one. Mm-hmm. GDR. Yeah. Beat the ass at the Monaro. <laughs> I just told you so, this is what I'm talking about. Uh, that convinced them more so than anything, you see. And uh, then we ran in the, uh, round Australia, we used Monaros. And of course, while one came, came third outright, only beaten by two important cars, it uh, still went any good, useless. So I said, "Forget about Benares. They're old hat. Yeah, not going to get anywhere <laughs> ever. Yeah, you know, uh, unless you make this new special one or about. no, I didn't want to know about that. I said, "Well, we we'll make Taranis. and. Uh, we started off and we made the first one out of an ordinary Toronto, which Brock drove at Sandown and won. And then we just went on from there. We made the GTR, we made the Rallycross one, which you read about in there, which won every Rallycross each year. You know, in all the three or four years of Rallycross, we won every one, you know, unbeatable. And uh, we, uh, we won every Rally Championship, on the Manufacturers Championship, yeah. Won Bathurst in '72 eventually. Uh, nearly won it in '70, but the car broke down. Mm. Someone put some, picked up some reject valves and put in the car. Mm. Of course, the heads come off the valve. So, so you've got, I'm, I'm
2: just working out that, okay, okay. Here, here you have a, the, the, the GTR, you designed the GTR, didn't you? You, you built up the GTR. Uh, yes. Right. Well, you, you, you've got... I helped. You helped, yeah. You've got a basic Tirana. There you are, you've got this English Vauxhall... Well, first of all, hmm.
1: first of all...
2: i just looking back, at the go involvement go, of this. Let's go
1: back to square one. Let's go back one. to
2: square one. Good place.
1: When I took over at HGT, yep, they said, oh, you better come down to the proving ground. Fred and Charlie are there they've got a few things to show you what we're doing. And, and Charlie, he was just chatting in there, he said, oh, you better have a look at this. And they've got a normal Vauxhall there and they'd extended the front and put a 161, three-speed in with a certain inch worth. He says, "Let's try this. Says, oh, Jesus, Charlie, yeah, you make something out of this, you know, this is what you can do with it. So he said, oh. You have to take that up with the, <laughs> the boss people <me> here. <laughs> so I start, you see. So, you can buy all these things. There's the Maro, local production one, right, which I envisage. You can make that here. But you can also make this here utterly and completely. All Australian components, not the slightest bit reliant on General Motors in USA. It's got nothing to do with it. That suits us, I said, and you'll sell this to every club person around the Traps, and it's just something which is uh, so easy, all the parts are there, it's all known subs, it's just a matter of putting them together. So give us one, and we'll make one for you. <laughs> so we made the first one, which Brock drove at Sandown and won the sports, the six-cylinder race. Walked it in, you know. And he said, oh, he had the A30 special with holding in." I said, get rid of that thing, yeah. Uh, forget what I called it. I said, I'll build your proper car. He said, at oh, the went as fast as the A30 did, didn't it? And he won. Said, oh, oh, yeah, I like this. So, and then we get the rallycross. He didn't like rallycross, but he won. I said, Peter, I said, what does it say here in the in the front era, in the, the front? half page, big picture of you and everything? I said, didn't get that near thirty, did you? Oh, no. no, I said, you stick with this, this is the this is way to go. Might be a few caps and that, but yeah, can't go any of up with this. And it was then a system of evolving, the different ones, you see, the first one, uh, I said, with the youth market, it's got to appeal to them. So I wanted to come up with a new set of youth colours. So the little bloke who ran the competition side from the General Motors called Felice, he and Leo Pruno, who's still in the country here, they sat down, they evolved a new set of colours. the Liniment, which was bright green, Plumdinger, which is bright, bright iridescent purple, uh, Strike Me Pink, which was pink um arctic white i think another one and yellow dolly which was bright yellow now yeah pretty distinctive colours. and the rallycross car was yellow dolly it was silver we painted we painted yellow dolly and everything you know with the black and that and the, the cars which were used in this not in 70s race cars um, were the first one was uh, liniment, so I drove that to Warwick Farm with the spare tyre, the race tyre, sitting on the back the seat. Uh, no pit group. Bondy'd never driven it. Get in this, yeah. Oh, yeah, Just you'll get used to it in practice. Pretty easy to drive. Yeah, this, this is what you do with it same size brakes as the Monaro, you see, the same size rubber on the road. So all the Monaros and the HOs, Janie and all those oh, racing toy cars now, are we? We'll we'll see. So (laughs) in the race we knocked them off one by one down the bottom there, each time on the brake, down the inside. Uh, I only had to get through about six of them, you know. Uh, Won the race. I said, now be very careful when you get in the lead because I'll shunt you so they did but he was away ready for it you know and he corrected it before they got him off the track or anything Jane hmm. and uh, so he won the race I just said put your orders into the local dealers fellas see you later <laughs> bug it off home drive it straight home again <laughs> <laughs> on my own the Warwick farm to Melbourne <laughs> yeah Warwick farm to Melbourne yeah so, uh, and going home I simulated an economy run because they were going to have one I did 42. point Something miles to gallon, which would have won. They didn't have the economy run, I don't think. But straight away we had a winning car. Now, unfortunately, with the valve problem, they were second outright and third at Bathurst in the middle middle of the race when that happened. But they would have won. Unfortunately, um, so, but they didn't. The one private there came third. So it was a pretty good exercise, you know, but we won all the all the rallies that year and other things, you know. And uh, come '71, we made it into. We didn't like the uh, Marlborough coming on the scene, and that, and uh, we had to come up with a red and white specie. So '71, I painted that '71 colour scheme, and that, which looked, well, pretty fair. And they were reasonably happy with that, and the car did very well. We didn't win Bathurst, but we won everything else. We won the Manufacturers' Championship as well. And, of course, all the rallies, and all, they won all those again. So that was good. I said, look, you've got to up the ante with it. It's, it's it hasn't enough power to compete with the Ford. And they're going to put a bigger engine, a better engine again in the Ford and that. So, you know, you'll have to do something. So we decided then we would start and produce the XU1 V8. I said, just give us a car and that's said, oh the engineers, people say it won't fit. I said, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we can use one of the 70 race cars. I'll put a teeth. T3, I've got a 253 blue there sitting on the floor, which is the same size as the other, exactly, it's exterior dimension. So it won't matter, we're only talking a prototype, I'll put it in the gearbox. I'll make the lump and everything to suit it and that and get it go, to go into the thing to a yeah, going concern. Okay. No budget. I said, I'll do it all. When it's finished. instead of money, the car belongs to me, right? Yeah, that's right. So, we make it from Bathurst time, which is October, on Christmas morning we drove, finished it that morning, drove the car around the block a few times and Fred James the engineer was there, the engine man, he went around in it and he came back with a smile on his face. Oh. So where we went to our Christmas dinner, now my Christmas dinner, half past ten on Christmas morning. He Marlow, just 250 miles away. I nearly got in that and went up there in that. I <laughs> thought, no, no, it's not registered. It doesn't comply. I'll go on my brougham I had then. I'll go on my brougham, yeah. However, I just sit in the shed. Came back straight afterwards, a couple of bikes, and we finished it all off. And uh, it was so funny. For the rally side, I had a chap Kilfoyle on that. Frank, ever drive this. He said, oh, he said, bloody mild. He said, considering it's only going on five cylinders. He thought it was a six cylinder, you see. With the V8 thing, he thought it was only in five cylinders. He didn't know it at a V8, I didn't tell him. <laughs> uh, and you know, it, it, uh, We then prepared a 308 to what we thought was a thing, and only took, I spent a couple of weeks on it. I no, uh, didn't do any big deal with it or anything. and uh, We had a one and a half gallon oil sub in it, all baffled and everything, it was the key to the whole thing, and we'd remade the oiling system so that it, there was no surge and the, the tappets didn't pump up and, and things like this, you know, we'd fixed all the obvious faults in the thing, we'd put proper piston pins in it which weren't rock solid and didn't seize up. And we'd we'd uh, altered the camshaft and had a special assembly compound we put on, it. so when you start it up, it didn't graunt itself. You see, you take a VA engine we just made and it sits there for three weeks. There's no oil at all in it, and it's put in the car, and the lackeys on the line they just start it up. Boom! <laughs> of course, they graunt two or three of the cams straight away because they're dry. So we made this assembly compound to do all this sort of thing with. And uh, the other thing we did was. Uh, to go further than that, again, we had a big oil tank, uh, pressurised at 60 pounds. And we just undid the, the line, screwed it on, turned the tap on, pressurised, run oil through the whole system at 60 pounds. So it, it sprouted out everywhere. And then we'd uh, uh, take that up connect the gauge again and start the car. Oil's everywhere. Mm. Uh, so that sort of fixed up a lot of their production problems with V8s. Because uh, they adapted that into the line.
2: So, the development of your race car Everything is, is which we did was back, did, we went back into the line. Went back back the the line.
1: Yeah. So, we've got a perfectly good 308, very workable. And all we did to get bulk horsepower, we uh, put the 253 gear on the 308 camshaft, which changed the phasing. Hmm. So, that it was practically straight in the middle and had equal valve tongue on each side, and it was enough. And with the other things we did to it, it gave about 300 foot-pounds and 300 bhp. 280 to 300, which is pretty good, yeah, more than enough. So we then put that into the car, which was no trouble. The biggest one, the biggest gain, with the air cleaner, we put four slots around the outside so that it could breathe instead of having to breathe the way it did fixed all that up very little drop in the air cleaner and uh, we changed the uh, the front belts Uh, yeah we changed quite a few things. we weren't allowed to put an extract exhaust on it which was a mistake because that would have solved and made it lighter but the car was only 50 pounds heavier than the uh, the six cylinder and then we put aluminium wheels on it uh thirteen by six, which meant that uh it weighed the same weight and the front of the car was lower. You know? Um, it was a very, very good exercise. We then ran it as uh <coughs> as a small sedan at Bathurst, walked it in the race and we ran two or three things. We ran it around the country and we kept the oiling system was the biggest problem. We kept altering that until we got it all right. That was finally passed as a production car. It that went into production. Mm. Right, so we altered a couple more little things fully as a production side of it, and the spoilers they wouldn't accept what we had, so we altered the existing spoiler of it, uh, didn't alter the back one at all. We began to put an extra, they put one great big tank in the boot. We were, I refused to accept that because all the weight was way up high. So using the, ex, the original tank and another one like a duty 500. So we said either it has the extra tank as we to visit here or forget it, we'll just use the normal tank. Which means an extra fuel stop, but we didn't care because we sold the one. Mm. And uh, we were the existing Ford at that race being at Easter we were three seconds left faster than it. Then you know, piece of cake. And it wasn't the fastest. And it did 170 miles an hour at Bathurst. Now, on the last hump, we just tapped the brake, didn't leave the ground whatsoever. Yeah, but. And of course, it stopped. So it was so quick up the mountain. So we would have won. You know, without any troubles. And. Uh, we sort of got you know the whole bloody thing completely finished. We were making two hundred cars. All of the kits were done except the tank at Casey Ridge. Two weeks off production, and the supercar thing blew up and canned a lot. So all we did was we made a new six-cylinder engine, upgraded it all, uh, and that, and put that in those cars because the weight was the same and everything, so nothing else mattered. They just put it in. So the, the, the car was uh, the V8. But in all respects, it's a 6 cylinder engine again. Mm. So that became the XU? Uh, uh, Bathurst XU1. XU1, yeah. yeah. Bathurst model.
2: Bathurst model, mm. yeah. yeah.
1: So that became the Bathurst XU1. Now that had uh, extractors, uh, bigger carburetors, uh, change of camshaft again, you know. Uh, quite a few upgraded things, which we uh, uh, did. And uh, Brock and I had, in the middle of the year, evolved this whole new way of changing the suspension to rock-hard Formula One type of thing. And had specific, to go on the alloy wheels, we had a, a totally new tyres from Dunlop, Japan. The chief engineer came out and we developed all this. We had all of those to go on. And so instead of using them on the V8, we used them on the six cylinder. Mm-hmm. Hand cutting your own treads at the morning of the race, and all sorts of new things. And I had gone with Brock with the six cylinder car with this new setup, and uh, evolved a whole new way of driving a touring car, which was at least five percent quicker around all the circuits. Now he could adapt to that, but the other drivers couldn't at all. And uh, so that became the Bathurst XU1, of which we made 200, and then the further, 175. And that was the end of Toronto production.
2: Let's talk about brocky.
1: Brocky was one of these things that happened once in a lifetime, really. And you're looking around for people and that, you know, to do things and that. You, you occasionally see people who you know are going to make something in life. Brock was one of them. When he came along, this long-haired, bearded, you know, yokel, I thought, I reckon you've got the makings here, you know, we can really make something out of you. First of all, I talked to him, are you prepared to listen and to do as you're told and everything. Oh yeah, yeah I going drive a an hour, oh, Christ man, I think, you know, I've dreamt about doing, this, doing this. Yeah, right-o. Well, It'll be hard because you do it my way, not what you think. And I will tell you and teach you all of it, you know, life and every mortal thing. But you've got to agree to be prepared to listen and do as you're told and not go off on a tangent and forget about the women and everything else. It'll be work in big X. Do you understand? Yes, right Bit of a shock you know, when he first started because uh, he was uh, t shirt and jeans, well dressed, if they're washed. A cup of tea and a Big Mac was a meal. Uh, he ate with the hands, there was one knife and fork. He'd won all these things in would A30 and he thought he knew it all, but he didn't. So, Cotton Peter, he came right Now, the first thing which I did, having learnt all this with his background, I sent him off to the agency, that's the General Motors Agency, which Peter Lewis Williams ran. I said, Peter, I'm sending you to this bloke, just teach him the facts of life and how to behave and how to talk to corporate people and everything, will you? So he was there for three went back and forth there for three weeks uh we we then uh Levi's came on stream and uh we uh, fitted him out with Levi gear and things and we fitted him out with our gear prior to that and you know uh, got a few other things but then uh then he didn't have a watch so I I had a uh, an Amiga Services watch. It had the black face on it, and that. So I gave him the watch with a special Grand Prix gave you know, top band on it, which was his pride and joy. And uh, yeah, things like this. Uh, and then you take him to places, uh, supermarkets and that. but just down. It talk to people, and say, "No, don't turn up your nose about him. Talk to all of them." Just like they're your friends, because that's what they are. These people pay your wage, they go to the meeting, they buy the cars. They're enthusiasts. Right? Any books or posters or anything like that, they buy. Yeah. You've got to to understand it. They're your fans. Now, eventually, they will be cheering you down the track if you're any good. Just remember all this. Yes, Bob. he sort of, um, he worked in reasonably well, but he still had this bit of a yobbo touch about him. Uh, so, I also had the captain, Janssen. Uh,
2: That's Peter Janssen, yeah.
1: Talk to him somewhat, you know, on that. And uh, one of the things at the meetings, which he learned very quickly, was that uh, I said now I employ you not your family. He by then is starting to do reasonably well and uh, he wanted to do more things but I wouldn't let him because it was too much for him. He could only take so much at a time. It was all a learning curve you see. He could cope with this and get to step it then he'd go on to something else and something more. and. Uh, I found that uh, he was very willing and able, you know, drive his car to a meeting which they had to do and all that. Quite all right with that, you know, no no larrikins or anything. So, uh, so he was showing distinct promise. And uh, then we um, got him a pad, ran near the garage and um, we've got a video of him having breakfast in his pad with his dog, which is hilarious. <laughs> However, um, and he did very, very well at Rallycross, you know, unbeatable. And he did very well on the other things, but the, having raced his A30, you know, so often, there wasn't quite enough for him, you know, he was starting to champ, but It's just can't. Better,
2: better explain for someone listening in a hundred years time what the A30 is, if you don't mind.
1: Well, the A30 was an A30 Austin body shell, cut and shut with a Holden engine put in it uh, and uh, wider wheels and, and, and mudguards and a bit of a spoiler on the front and the back it was very agricultural, you know, and it all wobbled in the middle and that, but that, that's what it was very and uh, it had three carburetors and things on the uh, on Holden and it did go very quickly, but it was also very problematic as to which way it was going to go, <laughs> you yeah, know, it was, wasn't very predictable at all. <laughs> Uh, like the drive next year one was totally different scene altogether you know yeah. However yep. very good background because he cope with all things with that and uh, taught him an awful lot yeah so the next thing what happened in Peter's career was he started to do quite well and I said to him peter I'm going to take you on an overseas trip to Macau, they've got a, an international Group Two race there, and I'm doing a deal where we take one of last year's xu ones there with a few little differences to it, and we run it as a Group Two car, which it is not, but that doesn't matter. It'll be overseas experience for you. Oh, I said, and another thing is that. Uh, there'll be a new range of Levi gear announced, which will be a great big thing uh, on the island and everything and you'll be part of it. So anyhow, off we go, fix the car up and send it off. Uh, I'd arrange with Pan Am to fly the car, deal. And uh, so we would give them publicity and we would put Pan Am on the car right across the back. So they flew the car in. And uh, you can imagine the car coming in, in the uh, luggage compartment of the 747, which is sitting there with 250 passengers strapped in their seats and I'm getting the car out and curfew time in Hong Kong is 12 o'clock and it's a quarter to 12 when the car finally comes out. And they slammed the door. Left the rest of them off before curfew. You see, <laughs> right? Where the car? No, you said you get the car now. Get the car. Don't bring the car back now. That's no good. Get it out now. Get out it out while we're arguing about it. Come on. So we got the car. That was right. And uh, on the island, we uh, had um, well before the island. We've got this great big publicity thing in the big hotel on the the island, the great big central hotel on the middle floor near the convention center. And we've got everything in the car, the sign written to yellow car, bright yellow, which is Chinese colors. And it's written in uh, black writing and a white background in Chinese. We're in China, aren't we? Big Chinese here, not English. Everything's written in Chinese. also we've got his resume up on the wall in big Chinese letter and all these little girls said, Peter, 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 they're all rushing around and at so these girls, there's a bit of here. I said, now look up here, it's up here the picture. Said, this is your resume. Oh. And you see this middle line here? Yeah, it says you're a great lover. <laughs> you <a> bastard. <laughs> I said, that's all right, isn't it? <laughs> So we've got him. He's got a new Spanish gear, flares, studded belt, suede jacket, uh, Levi caps with uh, yellow piping in them. You know, real smart stuff, and the t-shirt. You see. Oh, <laughs> million dollars! So off we go to the island. Now on the island to learn the circuit. A taxi fee, fare, is $2, unlimited mileage. Uh, so after 50 laps for the circuit, he wanted a, a $2. <laughs> <laughs> he took the taxi and the circuit. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So he, uh, we, we appointed a local garage, our uh, service station, so he gave us a car and we did another 30 or 40 laps in that. And Moffat arrived, so we took Moffat around in our car. <laughs> and Moffat had transhipped his car in mid ocean and left the tyres behind on the other car, so he was stuffed, he wasn't going to get anywhere. Yeah, but we helped him, and that, and uh, we knew exactly where the course went. Now, our car would not be the most suitable car, we're up against the German uh, Capri V6 Works car. You know, V6, twin overhead can, brace tyres, every mortal thing, Dieter Glemser, European touring car that the the champion of his club. So Peter said, don't worry about him, just you get out there and drive. And the practice is fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, this gear race has some tyre change on the port, oh, they're really, they're really oh, Jesus Who are these people, you know, where did they come from? What's a Tarana? Yeah. So we get, get scrutiny. They said, oh, you can go and put all the hot bits on now as we haven't got any, what you see is what we've got. Oh, oh, that's what you have to do. yeah, just like that. Oh, but it's only six on the push rod, three little carpets, yeah, that's all right. 138 miles an hour, the mile straight, you see. We had to send home for a higher ratio, higher gear ratio. <laughs> However, that worked well. Cut a long story short, uh, 20 lap race at a six mile circuit. He was only one minute behind at the finish. Yeah, he did very, very well. I said, Peter, I said, just let this be a lesson to you. Don't take any, you know, just the opposition, no matter what they are or what they're supposed to be, or anything, it's the result that counts, you know, and the preparation. I said, hey, you knew exactly where the circuit went, he didn't bother to drive around it beforehand. He thought he was so bloody good that he was just going to knock the ass off us, but he didn't. Oh, geez. So, Peter came back from that, totally different person, you know, realised what international was all about, totally different world. and. Uh, realised that he was as good as any of them. All he had to do was have the proper machinery for him. So, when we got back, of course, he went up the ladder another run and uh, he did very, very well. Now, he was top of Rallycross. He was doing very well in touring cars. Um, we did run the rallycross car as a sports sedan a couple of times a- and uh, we had one of the, we had a girls team so we had uh, one of them drive it and she beat the man <laughs> the sports sedan. <laughs> Peter also beat him too and uh, you know that was a pretty we didn't go on with that. We, uh, we made another sports sedan in it, we put a Repco 5000 engine in that. Yeah, big deal this time. With all the bits we had, it was nothing as far as the car concerned, and, and the disc, the four-wheel disc brakes that put on it were made out of production parts as a prototype to put them on in production later on, right? No one knew that, but that's what it was all about. Uh, so it was a mobile test bed, more or less. But, with the 5000 and everything, and the T10 which is a much stronger gearbox than that, uh, the first race we ran it at, we, just, we were finished assembling at the circuit, it had never run on the road, and it knocked Moffat off with his Mustang up the back straight, and he was leading the race and he didn't back off, and he ran off the course, put a wheel on the grass and the wheel spun in the tyre and it went flat, so he didn't finish. But, had a moral victory, you know. And we won a few things with it, but they, I said, you do what you like, boys, yeah, I don't. So they put bigger wheels on that, which made it slower, and they, yeah, you know, I, I can, but forget it, you know, we're not going on with this anymore, but we're in the business of racing touring cars, not sports dance, really. But it was a, yeah, really good exercise. He did very well at it. Um, but he also got a bit uppish. Yeah, he wanted this and he wanted that, and this was wrong and that was wrong, so I said, you just calm yourself here. Now also about that time, he'd met Miss Australia, hadn't he? And he's flying in there, you know, don't know about this, you know. <laughs> I said to Jansen, I said Jansen just keep your eye on this will you and let me know if there's anything going on. He said oh, he seems pretty serious. I said yes that's his trouble. <laughs> so it finished up that uh, in 72 uh, he'd, he'd won quite easily on that. But the time we got to 73 and that and uh, he was very successful then and won quite a, a lot of things but and also um we were getting to the stage where we had to can the V8 and the XU1 and uh, they put it in the, um, the new LH on that which became L34 but instead of putting in our u engine which we developed for the XU1 they put in a bog standard V8 with a small something everything absolutely Totally ridiculous. Engineer, American, very pig-headed, you know, he knew what he was doing. You know, oh, I'm gonna do, do this. So that's what he did. He he made an absolute dog. No room on the mud guards, square body, no aerodynamics, no nothing. Waste of time. So we had to cope with that. And Peter also had to cope with it and he had to drive the first SLR 5000, which was a LH. With the VR. And uh, I said, Well, you really got to nurse this to get it over the line. So we filled it right up, double the quantity of oil, and don't rev it over 5,000, all this. And he managed, by sheer brilliance, to win the last two races in the Touring Car Championship with it. That was, you get. Uh, But by this time, he had met and was going with Miss Australia, who he married. So at Bathurst for 1974, L34, then, and he'd done very well, to get him to the circuit in time to run his car, I had to send my friend down to his room at six o'clock in the morning to get her dressed and all prepared and that, so she could get in the finery out to the circuit by nine o'clock. They got there at five to nine. So that's. Yeah. In the race, at three quarter distance, he is six laps in front, walking away. Yes, well yes, ahead? So he was. So he's six laps in front, we call him in, we say, it's going to rain. It's rolling around the top of the circuit. Going to put the wet tyres on. You're doing two thirties. We want you to drive around in two fifties. Yeah, quite slow. Your six laps. We'll give two or three laps away. Just drive it to the finish. Do you understand? Yes. And it goes, breaks the lap record, stuffs the tyres, stuffs the car, blows a piston because of the extra load with the soft tyres. You see. Course, wasn't his fault. Yeah, something wrong with the car. But he didn't slow down. Because in the lap school, you see. Mr. Australia. He knew best. Couldn't, his ego wouldn't allow him to slow down. So, right, there's a problem there. Mm-hmm. Of course the other car, the summit come loose on that. And uh, so it eventually finished third. And uh, that race. Which we should have won easily, finished up a complete disaster. His fault. So, and I sat him down and told him so, him and her. Now, we go up to Surface Paradise for the race up there, and a similar sort of thing, wouldn't do what he was telling, and so we didn't win anything. And afterwards, he said, Oh, Peter's going to go off on his own. You know, be a privateer and that uh, you'll give him all the uh, good bits and everything, you know, and all that. Doesn't he said, no I right? I said, he will get what I feel disposed to give him and it will probably be what we give to all the, the senior privateers. I said, I'll take it to the private Trade Practices Act. I said, what for? I said, well, what am I doing wrong? I said, these parts are not for sale. They're not commercial parts or anything. I said, I don't have to give you anything, bear that in mind. Now uh, Gowne and Hindhoff had a car, an L34, which they agreed he could run, including Bathurst. So uh, I said to Gowney, who did our engines for us, we evolved a whole new way of making an engine. So I said to Gowney, I said, Gowney, you're free to use the engine, all the engine information and everything. I said, I will give you all the suspensions for the car and help you with a set of tyres to start off with. And here's how you deal with Brock. Read it very carefully. It's a cut a long story short. there was a few problems in that, especially uh, the driver I put in his place was not any good. Uh, so he broke an axe on the car which sidelined us a while. Our car came third, but Brock won and won quite quite well. Now, he did a very good job, so that was all right. Did it all themselves, didn't they? I said, hang on there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this I don't accept at all. So if you want any help in the future, you better get down on your bended knees. So they they, go to a, they won a couple of other things, but they also became broke. So I gave them the tyres to finish the season, which did well. They won a couple more things, you know, but that was, yeah, know, no skin off my nose, cost me nothing, and it was a way of helping.
0: There you have it, Harry Firth on the V8 Sleuth podcast, that great archive chat with thanks to the team from the National Library of Australia. Don't forget, head to our website, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. We'd love you to go shopping with us and help you solve your Father's Day problems. Books, magazines, DVDs, prints, model cars, we've got a bit of everything. Jump on the website and grab yourself a bargain in time for Father's Day or get some early Christmas shopping done earlier the better sign up to our newsletter too through the v 8 website we send out a couple every week pointing you to the latest news stories and feature articles on our website facebook twitter instagram you know where to find us if you don't that's where you can find us on social media next week another special episode of the v8sleuth podcast powered by repco as we put the spotlight on a very very special car We'll have that for you next week. In the meantime, have a great time. We'll chat to you soon on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number 2 and oil and find out.